What I wanted to do is something a little different today. So I'm going to give you guys a refresher. And for those of you who weren't here, and those of you who were here, I'm going to also, it'll be for your sake as well. And then move on to something um, a little different uh, that's basically an extension of what I talked about last time. And so essentially this, this verse that I've been talking about a number of times in this series, um, I want to start off with again today because as you can see, it's very much applicable to this series. And it's uh, quoted in both James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And essentially, I mean, that verse, no wonder it's mentioned three times in the Bible. They're actually quoting a proverb, Proverbs 3.34. We can see why this, this verse is really important. And it shows, it has important implications. It shows how important humility and pride are in the kingdom of God, in life in the kingdom. And we talked about the first, uh, the first week how important this is, and um, I showed you scripturally that God really deals with people not in terms of whether they're right or wrong, but in terms of whether they're humble or proud. And then um, I asked the question, what is humility and what does it look like? And so I started trying to address that last week, and I showed that pride, is, pride and humility are both matters of the heart. And so if you remember that famous scripture in Matthew 11, uh, 29, where Jesus says, Come unto me, those who are uh, heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden's light. But he describes himself, and he says, I'm humble of heart. And, and I notice that when Jesus says that, it's humble of heart. So it actually has something to do with your heart. It's a heart condition. And then I showed you uh, from... from uh, Ezekiel 28, where it talks about Satan, and it says that what, what resulted in his fall was that pride entered his heart. And so we see this, and then I, I t talked last week about uh, the parable of the sower, and how that's illustrating this principle that whether you're going to be able to receive the message of the kingdom of heaven, the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is completely dependent on whether you have a heart po uh, posture that's able to receive it. And so he gives the different types of soil as representations of the heart. And then he says this soil, the good soil, represents those who have a good and noble heart. And those are the ones who are going to be able to receive the message of the kingdom and to be able to multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. So we talked about that last week. And so I made the case last week that Jesus used parables and hid truth in them so that people with prideful hard hearts couldn't receive the truth. And we talked about why that's the case last week. So, those are some scriptures there from last week. What I want to move on today and um, ask, a, ask a question for you guys. So today's question is, if humility is a condition of the heart, which it is, you can, it's not something that's, that's apparent necessarily. It's not like just because somebody's dressed a certain way or not, it's, you can't say that person's humble, that person's proud, because it's a matter of the heart. And we talked about last week with Samuel how God said, look, we don't, we don't, I don't look at what people look at. People look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So God's really into the heart, and it's important for us to examine our hearts. So then if it's true that pride and humility are crucial factors in the kingdom of God, and, and if you think of the implications of that verse I, I shared at the beginning, God gives grace to the humble, and we're saved by grace. So it's really the implications only the humble are able to receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ because God resists the proud. None of us want God resisting us, do we? And we see in the Gospels how much God resisted. The only people he really got angry with are the Pharisees, the ones who are very much self-righteous and prideful. And so because this is such an important element of, of in this series, I wanted to ask the question, if humility is a condition of the heart, then how can we tell whether we're humble or proud? That's a good question, right? Because, like, who knows their own hearts? And so what I want to do today is give you a major strategy that God uses to reveal our hearts. And so I'm going sh to share a quote, and um, then I'm going to elaborate on using a bunch of scriptures to show you this is the case. Because at first you might be like, what are you talking about? One of the major strategies that God uses to reveal our heart is offense. 
How many of you have ever heard this, this quote? God offends the mind to reveal the heart. Anyone? Okay. I don't know who first came up with it, but I've heard a whole bunch of different people say it. And I remember when I first heard it, I'm like, when I thought about it, I'm like, you know, that's true. That's actually really true. And when I started look, like, like looking into it, I realized, man, this is, this is very true. Like, it's not something that's like, you could kind of maybe say, yeah, maybe that's the case. It's like, it's all over the scriptures. And in fact, Jesus calls himself the rock of offense. And so what I'm going to do is show you this because I think it's really important. Especially in the times we're living in, it's so easy to get offended. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, in these times, with great darkness, when he's talking about the time before he returns, lots of people are going to get offended, they're going to hate each other, and he said the love of most are going to grow cold. And so it's important for us to to be able to remain with that soft posture of heart and not get offended. Because as we're going to see, offense is a big deal. And it shuts your heart to the things of the kingdom. There's, an, there's another quote here I have that, um, that I, kinda, I like. I don't know if I completely agree with, but I think the principle is true. Pride's offended, but humility's grieved. Okay? So I just want you to think about that. And what I'm going to do is first of all show you this scripturally that God, this isn't something God's shy about even. Like this isn't like an obscure verse where it's like, oh yeah, God's, God uses this strategy. This is, this is clearly throughout the entire Bible. And in fact, the early Christians used certain scriptures where God prophesies about the Messiah being the rock of offense as evidence that Jesus was the Messiah because he caused so many people to, to stumble. So, what I'm going to do is, first of all, start off in Luke, uh, chapter 2, 25 to 35. Remember, we're talking about pride and humility, because my point is that God offends the mind to reveal the heart. So if you have pride in your heart, then this is one way that God manifests that pride through offending the mind. Same with humility, and, and I'll show you that as well. But first, I'm going to start off with some of these prophetic words about Jesus to show you that this is the case. So in Luke 2, 25 to 35, it says, Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents uh, brought the child Jesus to do for him what was custom, what the custom of the law required, Mary and Joseph, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, look at this, this is the prophetic word about Jesus. Look at what he said to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Isn't that an interest? So this is like, this is a prophetic word about Jesus' destiny that he says to his mother, like, your son is going to grow up to be a sign that people are going to speak against so that their hearts will be revealed. And remember, my point is that that quote I gave you, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. So right from Jesus' birth, he's eight days old right now, there's this Simeon who's got a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit says this is Jesus' destiny. Isn't that an interesting scripture, an interesting destiny to have over a child? So now what I want to show you is, this, is, this idea is actually comes from the Old Testament, Isaiah. And, and I've heard a joke before, some, someone who calls the book of Isaiah the gospel of Isaiah, because like almost the whole book is prophetic words about the Messiah, about Jesus. And I mentioned this, but like I said, early Christians and New Testament writers use this verse as evidence that Jesus was the Messiah because he caused so many to stumble. So this is Isaiah 8, chapter 14 through 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense 
and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And that, that might sound familiar to you because, uh, like I said, and I'm going to show you some scriptures in the New Testament, they use that as evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus even says this about himself in Matthew, I think it's 22, where he says, basically, he's the stone and you either fall on it and be broken or it'll fall on you and crush you to pieces, right? That's kind of alluding to this verse as well. So what I'm going to show you now, okay, go to the New Testament. This is from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone that uh, chosen and precious, and ever believes in it will not be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28:16. So the honor for, is for you who believe. But for those who, you, who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And notice that's the verse I just gave you from Isaiah 8.14. And then Peter says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now this is also reflected in Romans 9, 30, uh, verse 30 to 33. What shall we say then, that that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that's by faith? Remember I said a few weeks ago that those who seek to be righteous, often that leads to self-righteousness. But that those who seek to be humble, that results in a knowledge of the truth. And that's what this is basically saying. So he says, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead it to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, self-righteousness. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So something to consider, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, because the interesting thing is, is when the Messiah came, it was the conservative, zealous religious community that persecuted him, the, the Pharisees, the conservative evangelicals of the day, which is why it's important for us to consider um, this message, not this one per se, but, the, but pride and humility, because really it was pride that was their downfall. So then the question is, well, why was it that these are the ones who rejected Jesus when he came, the ones who were expecting the Messiah the most, the ones who knew the scriptures the most? One of the reasons is because Jesus represented the greatest threat to that which they built their whole lives on, which is righteousness by your own works. In other words, self-righteousness and pride. And so Jesus became, what these scriptures are saying is Jesus became a rock of offense to these people and to anyone who tries to base their righteousness off of getting approval from God based on their works for his approval. So it's like, hey, look what I'm doing. And we shared some scriptures on that. It's like, I'm praying, I'm fasting, look at me, God. And, and God's not okay with that. He's like, actually, no, it's by my grace that you're saved. It's not by your righteousness. And if you're going to be, if you're going to predicate your, whether, how good you're doing on, on based on these things, these works that you're doing, then you're the one who's actually going to fall. And so we need to humbly come before God and, and accept his sacrifice and acknowledge, look, it's, it has nothing to do with how good I am, how righteous I am, because it's through Christ's righteousness that we're saved. And only, only the humble are going to be able to do that. So God used this offensive message and method so that only the humble would be able to receive it and the prideful would reject it. So this is a scripture from Galatians 5.11, and, and I want to take us back to these scriptures because I think it's, it's difficult for us 2,000 years later in some ways to appreciate how offensive this message was and how offensive the cross was. Because we see crosses everywhere, we wear crosses, it's normative to see crosses, so we don't appreciate. That was one of the most offensive strategies God could have used because a crucified Messiah is the ultimate, ultimate oxymoron. Like, like, Jesus died in the most 
shameful way anyone could, anyone could die back then. So the Romans, how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Okay, okay. Like, that was probably an understatement from what happened. Like, they were ruthless, and this is like the most ruthless thing they could think up of. And the only people who got crucified were insurrectionists and runaway slaves. The most shameful, painful thing that you could ever endure, and the worst way you could die is a cross. And so imagine back then, it's like, hey, I have some good news for you. The Messiah came, and he died through crucifixion. Like, people would be like, what, your Messiah died the worst death imaginable? It would be like today, like, hey, good news, the Messiah came and he died, like, um, the death penalty, in the electric chair. And, like, that would raise some eyebrows, yeah? It's like, that's your Messiah? Like, that doesn't even come close to what the crucifixion, that's why it was such a stumbling block to people. Because it's like, how is it your Messiah, the Savior of the world, died in such a way? And so you see this throughout Scripture. This is Galatians 5.11 where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, the law, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If you could obtain righteousness through means of the law, means of the flesh, then Jesus died for nothing, he says later. So it's like, then the offense of the cross is abolished. So I'm going to show you this in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 25, because again, this offensive means, this method and strategy and message is what God used to reveal hearts, to show people their pride, and to say, look, only the humble are going to be able to receive this. Because only the humble are going to be able to receive such an offensive message that our Messiah died in such a humiliating way. So this is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent, I'll frustrate. That's Isaiah 29, 14. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom would, could not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, and look at this, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So his point here is like, God's like, actually, so... He's saying these, the, the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness. And all these people are puffed up saying, look, I got it all figured out. And in my mind, in my worldly mind, this is foolishness. A crucified Messiah, right? That's what he's saying. To Greeks, that's foolish. But God's using this offensive message to show people's pride and to say, actually, no. This is the power of God and this is the method of salvation. A crucified Messiah. And only the humble are going to be able to receive such a message. And he's using that intention to frustrate the wisdom of those age and to say, this is, this is how I'm providing salvation to you, through a crucified Messiah. Only the humble are going to be able to receive that. Remember when Jesus was praising God, we talked about this last week and the week before, where he says, I praise you, Father. For you revealed these things to little children and hid them from the wise and learned. And in the context, he was talking about salvation because he just finished saying, Thank you, God, that you, or praise the Lord that your names are written in heaven. Only the little children, though those of, who are humble enough to receive the mysteries of the kingdom of God, in this case the crucified Messiah, are going to be saved. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So now what I want to do, I just wanted to show you that foundation of Okay, this, this method of, of offense and the prophetic words that the Messiah is going to use this, he's going to be a stumbling stone and a rock of offense so that only the humble are going to be able to receive him. Now what I'm going to show you is Jesus uses over and over and over again in his ministry. This isn't like a one-off thing. This is throughout his entire ministry, he used this to reveal people's hearts, to reveal their pride. 
And this is why I'm saying this today. It's like, okay, if you're offended and something comes out, it's a good way for us to check ourselves because God could be revealing something that's in your heart and that, expo- that exposes maybe pride or something that you need to deal with. So I could talk about a ton of scriptures, but I cho- I'm trying to, I try to just pick some that are representative to make this case. Okay? So I'm focusing on Matthew 15. Um, pretty much the whole chapter because I want to I'm going to use this as an illustration but throughout I'm also going to show you uh, a few other scriptures just to to show this principle in other ways as well and then I'm going to focus on John 6 okay both of these scriptures are after Jesus multiplied the bread to the 5,000 and that's an interesting thing because that was a demarcation in his ministry after Jesus did that, that's when he started telling people, revealing that he was the Messiah, and starting to say, I'm going to be crucified. It was right after that he walked on water, and then, if you guys remember, in, in Matthew 14, he reveals himself as the Son of God to Peter. And he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So this is like the same day. This is like right after that, Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Look at Jesus replies in verse 3. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? He's confronting religious traditions. And as you're going to see, it's a pretty big deal. He says, for God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Isn't that interesting? Whenever I read this, I'm just like, man, that's perplexing. Like, can anything nullify the word of God? Other translations say make void the word of God. And you might be like, no, the word of God's too powerful. And Jesus is saying, actually, your traditions can do it. Your traditions. And what's interesting is he's confronting their traditions. It seems like something so minor. Why aren't your disciples washing your hands? Like, we might ask that now. Like, why don't you wash your hands? The coronavirus, yeah? It's like, <laughs> but, the, but Jesus is like, no, this is a big deal because you're putting your traditions in front of the word of God. So he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Look at this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I have hearts highlighted there because I'm going to show you, Jesus was using this offense to reveal what was really in their hearts. But remember, it boils down to their hearts. So you can look super good on the outside. Like, hey, look at me. I'm so good. I'm doing the stuff. I'm, I'm following the law. And Jesus is like, yeah, but your hearts are wicked. And they're far from me. And he says, they worship me in vain for their teachings are merely human rules. So then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. So... <laughs> So then the disciples came up to him and asked, Jesus, like, don't you know the Pharisees were offended when you, they heard this? Remember, I'm talking about God using offense as a strategy to reveal hearts. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, Jesus, like, you're pretty hard on them for, like, asking you a question about washing hands. Like, don't you know they're offended? Look at this interesting answer what Jesus says. He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they're blind guides. For if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So, interesting. I have that highlighted for a reason, because what an interesting thing to say in response to, don't you know they are offended? Jesus says, every plant that's not planted by my Father is going to be uprooted. Hmm, what can that mean? Okay, I'm going to show you. So then Peter said, explain this parable to us. Look at what Jesus, <laughs> look how Jesus responds to Peter. Are you so dull? <laughs> You're still so dull. Like, imagine Jesus said that to you. You'd probably be pretty offended, yeah? It's like, man, that's, that's kind of harsh. But are you still dull, Jesus? Or Peter? Jesus asked him, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. God offends the mind to reveal the heart. 
Remember, because Jesus offended them, and he said, your hearts are far from me. And Peter's like, didn't you know he offended them? And Jesus is like, every plant my father didn't plant will be uprooted. What he's saying is, this is what's uprooting them. And what, what I'm doing through this offense is showing them with people what's really in their hearts, because through their mouth, that's showing me that there's murder, sexual immorality, all this stuff. Because out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Okay? And I want to show you that again. Okay? Before I go there. Something to consider. This is just a summary of what I just said. It was the evil in their hearts that Jesus was uprooting and manifesting through the use of offense. In other words, he was offending their minds to reveal what was in their heart. Important point for all of us. What comes out of your mouth is displaying to us and the world what's really in your heart. Okay? So it's the offense that manifesting. How many of you have ever been in a squabble with a significant other and some weird stuff comes out of your mouth during the midst of an argument maybe yeah no okay you guys are more holy than i but yeah it's like wow where did that come from like you know when you're offended sometimes you say things that it's like whoa (laughs) check your heart because that's an opportunity it's like man there's something there that i need to examine right and that's that's the point it's like I'm going to show you this now. It's, Jesus says, out of the overflow of your mouth is showing what's in your heart. The heart is speaking. So this is Matthew 12 now, 33 to 36. And for the sake of time, the, I'm not going to give you context, but this is in the midst of the Pharisees saying to Jesus, it's by Satan, Beelzebub, that you're casting out demons. Okay? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. So this is Jesus later on. This is his response to them. Verse 33 says, either make a tree good and its fruit good, or else make a tree bad and its fruit bad. uh, bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment, for by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. So it's like, wow, that's a big deal. Our words really matter. And it's like, why do they matter so much? It's not necessarily the words per se. It's that they're just showing what's already in your heart. If you got the fruit, you got the root, is what Jesus is saying. So there's something there, right? And so it's like, what we're going to be judged for, it's like Jesus is like, that's what's already in your heart. It's just your, what you're saying is revealing what's already in your heart, and that's what you're going to be judged for. And that's why I'm saying, it's like, if you say something, okay, especially if you're offended, that's often when it comes out, then it's like, man, this is an opportunity for us to, to examine ourselves, because there might be something there. So now I want to show you this. So again, I'm just showing you different examples from the life of Jesus where he uses this strategy of offense to reveal hearts. Because I want you to walk away today knowing, okay, scripturally this is the case and this is an important thing because we're talking about pride and humility. And this is one way I asked the question at the beginning, how can we know whether we're we're proud or humble if it's a matter of the heart? And this is one way that we can see because we often don't know what's in our heart. So this is Mark 3, 1 to 6. This is a story where it says, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And see, Jesus knew this. He knew their hearts. He was just going to show them what was in their hearts. He was going to display it by offending them. But remember when we started off in Matthew 15, for the sake of your traditions, this is a similar thing. It's like, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Because they're so steeped in tradition that they cared more about that than healing someone and setting something, someone free on the Sabbath. So, and he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. And he then said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. In verse 5, he says, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Okay, remember, 
I start off with a quote, Pride's offended, humility's grief. Notice Jesus' grief here at the hardness of their hearts. Why? We talked about the parable of the sower last week. It's all about the heart. And the, those with hard hearts, the first kind of soil, aren't going to be able to receive the things of the kingdom. That was what was going on here. They were so hard in their hearts, through traditions and other things, and pride, that they couldn't receive. It's like, man, here's somebody healing someone and setting them free on the Sabbath, but they were so hard at heart they couldn't receive it. So he said to them, he doesn't, this is his, what he did to offend them. He knew they were going to be offended. He said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. The man was healed. Then the Pharisees, look at this, went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him, how they might kill Jesus because of this. Okay, so remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus says, because in the heart there's murder or sex. What he's showing here is, look, there's murder in your hearts. And this offensive thing I did by healing someone on the Sabbath is just showing that you guys are murderers. There is murder in your hearts. Okay? So it's like, wow. Something so, like, we might not be offended by that. Maybe we would. But if Jesus healed somebody, it's like, if that offends you, that's, man, they were, that's, it's like, wow, they were so offended that they would kill Jesus. Now, what I love about Scripture, and I've been talking about this all along, is that often there's, in, Jesus, Jesus did things and, and said things in a way where he contrasts people and responses to make a point. So, remember, I talked about Matthew 15, and I ended in verse 20. That was what, when Jesus just said, out of the heart, uh, when he was confronting the Pharisees, that their hearts were far from him, and he was said, out of your heart, out of the mouth comes murder, sexual matter. This is right after. Because what I'm trying to show you is that offense exposes the heart for good and for evil. Okay? So when you're offended, if something evil comes out, it's like, okay. But on the same token, when you're offended, out of the good comes good. So if you have good in your heart, good things will come out. I'm going to show you this. So Jesus places... Or Matthew places this right after, and Jesus is making this point. So this is Matthew 21 now. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, look at this. This is like, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Like, I've heard people try and rationalize this away in different ways to try and like make it less offensive. But regardless of what you do, he's calling her a dog. Okay, so that's, imagine in our culture, like just now, like a preacher like, imagine this, like, Billy Graham. I always use him as, like, the poster child of an awesome preacher. Billy Graham, some woman comes up to him, have mercy, I need healing, can you pray for me? And he's like, I don't pray for dogs. Like, yeah. Like, man, not only would, like, that make the news, it would be, like, forced resignation, probably disgrace for the rest of his life. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, especially nowadays, people are so offended by this kind of thing. It's like, man... Get this. You might not have thought of it this way. Her daughter is the one he's calling a dog because she's the one who needs healing. Like, so it's like one thing to be like, man, you call me a dog. It's like, you don't call my daughter a dog. And that's essentially, I don't give, I'm not right. It's not right I give this to the dogs. But look now, what's my point? Look how she responds. Remember, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. For good and for evil. Look at this response. And how many of you would respond in this way? You don't have to answer, but I don't know if I would. Look at this. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What a response, yeah? Man, like it's like Jesus just said something super offensive to anybody. And this was her response. So humble. And this impressed Jesus. Look at this. Then he said to her, woman, you have great faith. It's like you overcame this offensive thing I just said and said such a humble thing. You have great faith. 
Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So like, down here I just have this. Jesus, like, just like offense reveals evil in the heart, likewise it can show the humility. Okay, and so we, said, we showed that in Matthew twelve thirty four that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now I want you to notice this in connection to faith, because like I was saying, it's God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. It's only by grace we're saved. The implication is only those who are humble are going to receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But notice in Ephesians 2, it says, you're saved by grace through faith. I want you to notice the connection of faith here. Because Jesus is like, man, you overcame that offense. That was great faith, that you would say such a thing after that. Look at how, how offense can shut our hearts to what God is doing and actually decrease faith. So again, I'm showing this to juxtapose it against what I just showed because it, on the other hand, offense shuts our hearts. Okay? It makes our hearts hard and then we can't receive the things from God. So this is Mark 6, 1-6. It says, Jesus left there, went into his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Look at this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Because it's like, man, we know Jesus. It's like he, he kicked the soccer ball around with our son Johnny when he was a teenager. It's like, who is this? It's like, this is Mary and Joseph's son. Who does he think he is, yeah? And they got offended. Now look at this, verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And he could not, it doesn't say he would not, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Notice the connection with faith. It's like you get offended, shuts your heart, right? Just like the woman, when she overcame offense, it's like Jesus granted her request, and it's like, man, that's great faith. They're so offended that this is Jesus, and they know him, it's like, no faith. And Jesus could do, couldn't do very many miracles there. So that shows the importance of offense, doesn't it? And the importance of us overcoming, because there's a huge blessing on the other side if we can overcome offense, just like that Samaritan woman. Now, you guys might be thinking, maybe, I don't know, okay, those are the Pharisees, because we tend to do that. They are the Pharisees, they're just like, they're the worst. I wouldn't do that, yeah? It's like those Pharisees, they're, they're just jerks. I want to show you something. We are not susceptible to this. No. We are susceptible to this as believers. <laughs> we're no less susceptible than the Pharisees were to this, to being offended like this. And Jesus actually used this strategy on his disciples as well. Not just Pharisees, okay? So this is, I want to show you this major portion of Scripture. Again, this was after Jesus multiplied the bread. Now it says to 5,000 men besides children and women, I've heard different estimates. A conservative estimate means there was 20,000 people there. Some say up to 60,000 people. So this is a huge crowd. Okay? Jesus just finished doing this amazing miracle, large crowds following him, of course. It's like, man, who is this guy? This is awesome. Look at what Jesus does in response. He doesn't go on a big campaign and advertise and get, to get more crowd. He actually whittles the crowd down. And I'm going to show you how he does it. And he's very intentional. It's very interesting. Like I said, he's offending the mind to reveal the heart. Okay? And I'm going to show you this at the end. So this is John chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All of those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven. I highlight that because that's what offends them. Not to do my will, but to do the one who sent me. And this is the will of, of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who he's given me, but raise them up 
at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble. This really offended them. Why? It says, they, they began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Sound familiar, eh? Whose father and mother we know. How can he now say I came down from heaven? This guy's not telling us the truth. We know this guy, right? How's, so they're getting offended. Look how Jesus responds. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent them draws me, and I'll raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. They'll all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life, and I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that came down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, no explanation. Like, like us, when we read that, we're like, oh yeah, he's talking about like crackers and grape juice. Like, yeah, no big deal, yeah. Jeez, no explanation, okay? It's like, my fl- so then they're like, verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply. It's like, how can, the, how can this man give us flesh? It's like, is he telling us we have to be cannibals? Like, this is essentially what they're thinking. Like, who is this guy telling us to eat their flesh? Imagine someone said that to you. Like, it's like you're following this guy. He's doing miracles. This guy's awesome, right? The Messiah. And then he's like, okay, guys, by the way, got to eat my flesh. What? <laughs> what are, who are you? <laughs> like, yeah, no explanation. That's the thing. That's, it's like he's offending them on purpose. So look at this. Then he, he, he's like, oh, does that offend you? Look what he says now. Jesus says, and very truly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? <laughs> okay, so we have to drink your blood and eat your flesh. Yeah? Like, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not like, yeah, like bread and crackers, don't worry, guys. Like, uh, bread, I mean, crackers and grape juice, no, no worries. That's all I'm talking about. It's not, it's like, no. It's like, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, this was one of the most offensive things you could say to the Jews. Like this, there, was, there wasn't much more offensive than drinking blood. Okay, so like if you look at Acts 15, when they were trying to determine whether they should have the Gentiles circumcised, they're like, okay, no, 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 we shouldn't put the law on them, but here's four things that we're going to say, this would be good if you don't do, and one of them is like, don't drink blood. <laughs> it's like out of all the things they could say, don't drink blood. And here's Jesus you got to drink my blood. It's like, are, what? Yeah? Like, what kind of, what are, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. So then look at this. He's like, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So then Jesus is like, okay, just in case you try and like rationalize this or spiritualize it or, or think it's, I'm talking about crackers and grape juice, look at this. For my flesh is real food. <laughs> And my blood is real drink. It's like, so it's like, so now you guys have no way of rationalizing this away. Yeah? No explanation. So whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. <laughs> like imagine nowadays it's like, hey, hey, the, good news, the Messiah. It's like, oh, drinking flesh, eating blood, dying on a cross. Yeah? Like this isn't, this isn't, this is not palatable, this message. So, and it, and it, okay, so, uh, whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever, he said, while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Now look at this. This is where I'm going with this. On hearing it, now many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, man. You know, his disciples. Okay, it's like the ones who've seen everything. They're following him day and night. They gave up everything for Jesus. They're following him, gave up their family, everything, their business. It's like, I'm following him. He's the Messiah. And then out of nowhere, Jesus is like, okay, guys, by the way, you got to drink my blood now. 
<laughs> what? And eat my flesh. Are we cannibals? What? So you can see, it's like, man, wow, what? Who are we following here? Now, look at this. Aware of this, his disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, oh, does this offend you? Remember, offending the mind to reveal the heart. This is a rhetorical question. Of course it offended them. So it's like, does this offend you? Then what if, I, if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. Yet there's some of you who do not believe. Look at this. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He was simply using this offensive message to show their hearts. Who was really with them? Who wasn't? Because he knew. Okay, so it's like, yeah, you can follow me day and night, but I know you don't actually believe and you're actually going to betray me. So I'm just going to say something offensive because he's weeding people out. I know who's, who's really with me and who isn't. And unless you overcome this offensive thing that you don't understand, then you're going to fall away. Okay? So he went on to say, this is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father's enabled them. Look at this. This is kind of a creepy... This is John 6, 66, 666, so you can remember this. It's kind of weird. From this time, many of his disciples, believers, turned back and no longer followed him. We're not immune to this. So then Jesus says, you don't want to leave me, do you? To the twelve. The only ones who are left after this. The only ones who are left. 12, from like 60,000 or whatever it was, 12, 20,000. Simon, now look at his response, just like the Canaanite woman. The humility, man. Because they totally, I'm sure they were like, what are you talking about? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have, we have come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Wow. So in spite of such a difficult message, it's like, you know, we don't understand this thing you're saying. And this is crazy to us, our minds, but we know you're him. You're the Messiah. So we're going with you no matter what. No matter how offensive this is. And think about how now their families, it's like, you're following this guy who's telling people to drink his blood. Like now they're, they're going to get the brunt of that, yeah? Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Then he says, but one of you is a devil. He's talking about Judas. Haven't I chosen you? Why? God resists the proud, gives grace to them, because he knew they're going to have to come some offensive things. The ones who are spreading the kingdom to the rest of the world. Jesus chose them for the humility of their hearts because they could receive it and spread it, multiply it, 30, 60, 100 fold. And he's like, I've chosen you guys because I knew you would be with me no matter what I do, no matter what happens. And they had a lot of potential to be offended, not only through Jesus. Just think about in the book of Acts. This is the book of John. Do you guys remember what happened to John's brother, James? Almost, almost immediately in the book of Acts, James gets imprisoned and gets killed. Then just a few chapters later, Peter gets imprisoned and God miraculously gets Peter. You don't think they asked the question, God, why didn't you miraculously let James go like you did with Peter? You know? It's like, why? I'm sure they asked the question, but they overcame it anyway. Even when it made no sense to them, they overcame it. Now, this is the last scripture I want to share in this because I'm showing us we're not immune to this. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. This happened to him. Think about John the Baptist. His whole life, ministry, purpose was to prophesy this is the Messiah. He was the Elijah who was to come, Jesus says. Okay? So his whole ministry, and then he, then he sees Jesus. He's like, this is the Messiah. Baptizes him. Heaven's open. He sees the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. He hears God say, this is my son who I'm well pleased. He still got offended. John the Baptist. Why? He's in prison. So look at what happens. This is Matthew eleven two 2 to 6. And when John had heard it in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? It's like, man, well, how much more evidence do you need? You heard God say, this is my son. You know, you, and it's like, but I'm in prison. 
Because think about John. It's like, are you the coming one? You're suppo- the Messiah is supposed to set the captives free and release prisoners. I'm in prison. Should, am, are, you, are you not the one? Yeah? Because it doesn't make sense. Why aren't you releasing me? So Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. He was clearly offended, right? And Jesus, So Jesus wouldn't have said that if it wasn't possible for us to be offended by him, right? Both for what he's doing and what he's not doing. Because I, I showed you a bunch of Jesus was intentional in like healing the withered hand, saying, drink my blood, eat my flesh. That stuff he was doing, that's offensive. What about what he's not doing? What about the people we prayed for and they weren't healed? Right? And then it's like I said, with James and Peter, it's like, wait, why didn't you let James go and you let Peter go? Doesn't make sense. To our, we don't see, it's hard for us to see from an eternal perspective sometimes. So it's like we have the potential to be offended to, with God, whether we admit it or not, even over things he's not doing. So we need to examine both. Okay, we're not immune to this. So the bottom line, with this message. The whole reason I gave this message in the context of pride and humility. Whenever you're offended, now I want to be sure, just because you're offended doesn't mean it's God offending you. Okay, so I want to make sure it's not like that's evidence that God's offending you, but when you're offended, whether it's God offending you, what he's doing or not doing, or somebody else, that gives you an opportunity to examine yourself because your words and the way you respond is showing the world and yourself what's in your heart. And it gives you an opportunity to examine yourself and repent if you need to be. Okay, if you need to. Because God uses that to uproot things. And so then it gives us the opportunity to ask God, look, there's something going on here. I need that to be gone. But I just want us to, to examine ourselves in this context, because this is a big deal. And like I said, we're living in times where there's a lot of potential to be offended. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, when I just, the, one, the verse I quoted earlier, when he's talking about the end times before he comes, people's love is going to grow cold, many people, most people, because of the, result, the, the rise in wickedness. But those who endure till the end will be saved. Okay? So we need to endure in the midst of such an offensive world we're living in. So Father, I just thank you so much for, for your word, and I thank you so much that you give us an opportunity to examine ourselves, and you're so merciful. And I just thank you so much for your mercy. And I ask you, Lord, that if there's anything we need to repent of, or if there's anything in our heart that needs to be exposed, that you would do so, and that you would enable us to have the humility to overcome any offense we have in order to follow you wherever you go. I ask, Lord, that you give us the humility of heart to be able to endure anything that's offensive, but also to repent if we need to for whatever it is that you expose in us. And Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are and that you're just such a good, good father and that you're with us no matter what. And so, Lord, I just ask that we would be like the 12, that no matter what happens or what doesn't happen, no matter if we understand or don't, that we would continue to follow you wherever you go. And I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.